Thanks for joining us on the Randall Podcast here. We have over 50 minutes of updated information that we'd like to communicate with you. Have some exciting guests on the podcast. Flipped the script a little bit. Had someone interview me, uh, parent Miss Aaron Sonia. Excited about that segment. It's about 20 minutes long. So make sure you give yourself enough time to sit down, relax, sit back, and enjoy the podcast this month. And again, just wanted to say thank you to everybody for all your support and patience. We are trying to be so thoughtful and purposeful and not reactive to this ever-changing environment. I, I don't know what else to say besides it's just crazy, right? When we think we know what direction we're heading in, we, we get shifted and moved it in a, moved in a different direction. And I know it, from from graduation to pickup, none of us none of us wanted any of this. And 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 I truly am sorry, everyone. I don't know what else to say except for how hard it is. Not not just for us as the adults, but for the kids and all those exciting end of the year activities. And it's just, my, my, my heart is just, is, is bleeding for the Randall families. With that being said, here's some updates. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd be happy to help you out. Well, thanks for joining us again on the Randall Podcast. Could you please remind everybody who you are and what you do in Kenosha County? Hi, I'm Jennifer Freiheit, and I'm the health officer for the Kenosha County Division of Health. Very popular person. We are very fortunate to have you here. I don't know if I'd say popular right now, but we'll see. We talked about this last month, but just thank you for just being so open to having all these dialogue and lines of communication. I know it's been uh, a, an interesting week for you. But as, as far as updates go, what can we tell our parents, and students, and stakeholders at Randall? Well, the events of the week, you heard the Supreme Court order on a Wednesday night, the ruling um, had removed the state's safer at home order and didn't even allow the transition period for local communities to sort of figure out what that meant. So Wednesday night, our core council and our county executive and our you know, city mayor and several other people were quickly scrambling. What, what does this mean at the local level? And we weren't alone. We were joining calls of many other core councils and county execs and health office around the southeastern part of Wisconsin and trying to read through the 165-page document and figure out what does this mean. And we uh, quickly wanted to put out an order it did, the uh, Supreme Court ruling certainly didn't affect the locals' ability to do that, so many of us did that in order to keep some safety net uh, to protect the public health. And um, as you have seen over the last 24 hours, then um, different, you get 24 different lawyers and you're going to have 24 different opinions, and uh, um, different opinions have come out in the meantime. That that made us question, you know, do we, do we have a leg to stand on and and how can we still protect the public's health if we don't have this? So we withdrew the local order and went quickly to putting out best practice recommendations for how businesses could open and how we could ensure that the businesses, we give them guidance on how they can comply and comply safely to keep their staff and their customers as safe as possible. So we just released today a Kenosha County Kickstart plan and um, it is best practice recommendations based upon public health science of what different sectors in the business community can do to keep themselves safe. Well, any advice for our Randall rebound plan? 
Right. <laughs> so I think um, what, what we're really urging people to do is to still take this seriously. I mean, we uh, heard in the national news at the beginning of the week, it was in some White House briefing that we were the seventh most infectious county in the country. We certainly are seeing no slowdown. Um, just today alone, we've gotten close to 50 positive cases. And um, so this is a huge day. We're still on the up of the curve. It's intense. We're in the thick of it. It's still spreading throughout the community. And we urge people that while we're all excited to have social interaction again and visit our businesses and um, you know be out there, that we must do it safely. We are not out of the woods on this yet. And, you know, so to the biggest recommendations are all the things we talked about at the start, proper hand washing, disinfection, cough, sneeze etiquette. But the new ones, you know, the more new ones we really want to encourage are wearing a mask when you're out in public and to not just jump right back into mask gatherings, such as birthday parties and play dates just yet, uh, because it's still very viral. So can I, can I bring up the G word graduation? We, uh, you know, before all of this came out, we developed uh, some graduation guidance together and we're trying to figure out what would be the best method to allow some memory of a graduation without the full pomp and circumstance that is typical. Um, so, so we hope that those guidelines are still in place to help keep everybody safe and that people are following those. Well, thank you for that. It's, we appreciate the guidance. It's now about managing expectations and nobody likes that we can't do graduation exactly it's hitting everyone i mean there's weddings and funerals and baptisms and mitzvahs, you know and they're they're all celebrations that we're accustomed to having and it's nobody's fault it's nature mm-hmm. and and you know this this won't last forever but we have to be prepared for the long game and and how we can create new memories in different ways Thank you so much for the time that you've given to the Randall stakeholders. We appreciate everything you guys do for Kenosha County. Well, thank you so much. No, I, we, you know, our main mission at the very beginning of all this, we said we want to flatten the curve by using all of our containment measures, all the public health tools in the toolbox. We wanted to educate, and that part of that education is communication. As you know, any emergency that happens, what is the first thing that fails? Communication, communication, communication. And so it's, it's vitally important to the health department's mission that we communicate with all of our stakeholders and, and, and really keep that education alive so that people understand and we dispel myths and rumors and, and educate people on how to keep themselves safe. So we appreciate you very much as being a good uh, public health partner. Try to get some rest. We need, we need you. <laughs> we need you to rest. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another segment on the Randall podcast here. We are speaking with Sharon Palmaville, the executive director from the Sharing Center. How are you, Sharon? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing today? <laughs> There's always a pause after that question now. How are you? Yes. Well, <laughs> with everything that's going on, I think we're doing the best we can, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say it's your mission or vision, but donate, volunteer, and advocate. We had you on a meeting with the local district administrators in Western Kenosha County, and I just loved what you had to say about your organization. So I'm just going to hand it over to you, and if you could give everybody a a balcony view of the Sharing Center and what you're doing to help Randall folks and other communities in the area. I tell people we're 
We're the primary resource center, crisis center, food pantry for everybody that lives west of I-94. There's other smaller agencies that do great things out here as well, but we're kind of the hub of services of anything that's going on in Kenosha County, even on a state level, for families uh, who might be looking for some resources or help that live in the western part of the county. How are things going at the sharing center? You know, it's going really well, and one of the reasons why is there, there's been a lot of federal funding that's been allocated to help people to make sure that they're being fed and housed. So when those federal funds are increased, it makes it a little bit easier on food pantries and churches who usually do a lot to make sure that families are stable and have food to eat and pay their rent. So it's, it's been a little bit easier actually for us, and it's actually far easier for families because one of the things that's been increased substantially is food stamps or food share it's called it's also called SNAP I've heard it's called EBT it has a lot of names but it's traditionally most people know it as food stamps or the food stamp program so even for families who maybe weren't getting a lot through the program and just opted not to even participate anymore it's actually a really good time to hop back into that program because the amount of food that a family could get or money to purchase food has been increased substantially for everybody in the home so there's a lot of other benefits that are actually going wrong with food stamps at this time i'm really asking people if they have any clue they might qualify not sure if they do it doesn't hurt to try to to reapply at this time and i know that you work hard to support people on transitioning to independence. You mentioned qualifying and you might not have qualifying. So how, how do people access information or go start that process? Yeah, that's super easy actually. So if anybody has internet access, the website access.wisconsin.gov. And if they've ever applied for any other benefits like child care or maybe badger care, food stamps at another time, it's the same website. It's very easy to navigate. You can actually apply for all those benefits at one time. And if that doesn't work, there is a simple phone number that we can get for you at the end of this podcast to be able to call and apply for benefits if internet access isn't something that you're uh, able to use. It's just the most simple process, just a kind of a question and answer online, and then let you know pretty quickly whether you qualify for those benefits. And what the good thing is, is right now it's almost $200 per person and so that family of four, it's almost $800 a month that can be used to purchase your own food. And then there's another stipend that's actually being put on for the last few months. May continue through the summer, we're not quite sure yet. And that's for anybody who's on free and reduced lunches. They actually get an extra couple hundred dollars per child put onto that uh, food stamp card as well. So there's, there's a lot of good benefit to reapplying or even just applying for the first time if you're curious if you qualify or not. That's what these programs are for, right? So absolutely what they're for. They're made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they, they do a better job than a food pantry does, honestly. I mean, you're able to purchase the foods that you need and want and that your families eat. And so then it also frees up resources for us here at the food pantry to start looking at things like helping people with their rent and helping them with mm. utilities and getting them connected to good paying jobs and maybe helping them get their driver's license back or all the other kind of myriad of things that might be keeping people from really being financially sound. So that's what we focus on as well. You started to touch on uh, doing more than just a food pantry. Is, is there anything that the sharing center is maybe just as far as supplies or resources that people could reach out to you uh, for help with? 
food in general, but then we also have diapers, lots of diapers, uh, baby food, formula, feminine hygiene. We also have pet food, cleaning supplies, toothbrushes, toothpaste, shampoo, all the very basics. We have all of that almost all the time. Then we also do a lot of help at Christmas time. So we do gifts for children. It's a pretty big blowout. I rarely have anybody disappointed because our donors are really generous <laughs> to make sure that the kids are getting what they really want and need for Christmas time. We also do a lot of clothing, a lot of winter coats, snow pants and boots. We do school supplies in August and we also have a yeah. variety of other yeah, a variety of other adult programming like for domestic violence and batteries intervention and mental health that we also provide and everything's free of charge. All you have to do is live in western Kenosha County and somewhat close to the income guidelines. We're, we're flexible. Well, Sharon, we'll be sure to share all that contact information with our stakeholders here at Randall. We just wanted to say thank you and applaud you for all your continued efforts to support the community. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I feel like we we may have, have covered as much as we can cover. Thanks. Thank you for that. Yes, I appreciate it. And our volunteers work hard and our staff here has been doing the same. And community has been super generous so it's been an easy easier ride I should say at this moment through what we're going all going through but I also want to commend the schools for what you've done as far as remote learning it was so good to see it happen and then serving you know breakfast and lunch most of the schools were able to do that there was a need for it and I also just want to applaud all of you for doing that that's just an amazingly wonderful thing thank you for that well we appreciate that it's just nice in this community how we we've, we've really come together right Yes, we do. We really, really do. Well, thanks again for joining me, Sharon, and have, have a wonderful uh, weekend and a, and, a safe, and a safe week. Thank you. You too. Take care. Well, everybody, welcome to the podcast. We have Ms. Erin Tassoni uh, here with us today. How are you, Erin? I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? I, I'm doing good. It's uh, always interesting trying to do a, a virtual podcast so I, I thank you for agreeing to do this well thank you for having me i uh, had an idea to flip the script a little bit here and in, invite you to the podcast to interview me through the lens of parent uh, stakeholder uh, you're on the strategic planning committee and we've had some very fruitful conversations had to start having the discussion about well and I, th I and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, well, it, it would have been great to know that. Right. I thought, well, well what else is there? So here, here we are. I've never done this before, so I'm just going to hand it over to you. And if you want to start asking questions, and we'll see All where right. it goes. That, that, that sounds great. Well, I want to thank you for giving us this opportunity, too, parents, me included. I'll just jump right in. My first question are, is parents express their concerns through the culture and climate survey and through the school board listening session regarding class sizes. In the 2018-2019 school year, many grades had four sections, and then in the 2019-2020 school year, some grades dropped from four sections to having three sections, which resulted in large class sizes. Uh, I understand that open enrollment has been frozen for grades kindergarten through eighth grade for the next school year. So what are some other steps Randall is taking to reduce the current large classes? And will those large classes be adding another section to the grade next year? For example, like if we had a class of 25 students and there was only three sections, but the year before there was four, will we have, will that class next year have four sections again? 
Okay. Um, but the, the first piece is that capping of the open enrollment. That That is uh, grades one through eight. And again, that the rationale behind that recommendation was that over 30% of our students are, are open enrolled. Trying to put the, together a process of keeping open enrollment at, at a manageable level. Because when you just ha don't have a cap and you're just letting st students uh, open enroll, once that percentage gets high, high enough, you're, you're putting fiscal stress on the tax base to, to manage that number of, of students. Was a, a tough recommendation. Um, it, it passed by a margin of three to two. And for me, it was, let's start to look at the process of adding sections while looking at the individual, individual dynamics of each grade. Mm -hmm. So even though outside of the regular ed classroom, I'll say, or our homerooms, we have a 12 to one student teacher ratio, it was concerning to a lot of people that we had a class with 25 students in it. So I heard clearly that once we get around that 24 threshold, that we need to look into adding additional sections. And I, I'm not gonna start pulling on the pandemic throughout this conversation, but the board and I had already been discussing staffing next year, and I had been supporting Principal Alrod's recommendation to to add sections. Now, whether it was two or three section, that sections, that's, that's where we were starting to work through. And, and just to be clear, she's been advocating for those sections since she was able to get her bearings and, and make a, a recommendation. So we still need to evaluate the effects of the, the global dynamic and exactly what school is going to look like next year, because to be honest, none of us know. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that the newly elected school board will approve a plan that we put forward, uh, adding additional sections to reduce a homeroom class size, and then that will give us an opportunity to prove to, to parents, to you, and a and the other stakeholders that were listening. Great. Okay, so one, I just want to clarify, when you say homeroom, that's like K through eight homeroom, or like your, your, let's say, for example, first grade, your homeroom is your teacher who you have. That's what you're referring to as homeroom. Just your regular teacher, your class that you're in, I'll say, for like K through five. Correct. Pre-K, pre-K through yep. five, and then, okay. and then, and then also the, the core content teachers in middle school of all right, another concern parents have are problems with discipline, and that's school-wide. It's my understanding that after the culture and climate survey, the data was analyzed and a plan was put in place for the building leadership team, or the BLT, to investigate a student code of conduct. Can you tell us more? I'm gonna start, just I'll break them up. Can you tell us more about the building yeah, leadership please. team? Like, who's, who's it made up of? Building leadership team is facilitated and led by Principal Allrod. She wanted a diverse team with multiple representation uh, from the teacher staff. But it's Don Deirdrick, Chad Tura, Emily Guida, Rita Michaels, Tiffany O'Dowd, Leslie Elbline, and uh, Jason Lemke. Bull Elrod sent out a request for people to join the team, and then she looked through the responses and then selected that team. You know, when I look at that list of names, I see a, a pretty good cross-representation of, of our school in the sense of veteran staff, primary, uh, encore classes, special ed. Did it change from like, like, is this a whole new leadership team this year compared to the previous year? Yes. The district leadership team looks different too. And, oh yeah, and what's the difference between the building leadership team and the district leadership team? 
The building leadership team is facilitated in Principal Alrod, working with the, the teachers and setting goals to improve systems within the, the school lens. And then the district leadership team would be my direct report of James Adams, Kathy Caldwell, Jason Lunsky, uh, Janet Elrod, Thomas Vogel, who's our director of people services, and myself. And then we look through the lens of the district goals. On, I don't want to say a common misconception, but we are a school, but we're also a consolidated school district. And there's, there's a lot of I don't want to say pressure, but there's just a lot of more work that comes with that in the sense of just simple compliance with Wisconsin Department of Instruction, and then also managing programs of special education, of you know, transportation, and, and, right. and, and that would know, be building more level, yeah. Yeah, a building level yeah. administrator really doesn't necessarily have to worry about you know, the bus fleet and maintaining that and purchasing. So you focus on your day-to-day -day operations and the vision of the school. So it's at times it's hard to just look through that district lens and, and, and then also get people to see like we have a broader umbrella here than it might look from the outside. Right. So can you tell give us an update on what the building leadership team, their investigation on the code of conduct? Student code of conduct is for people who've never heard that before. It clarifies expectations, responses from teachers, administration, parents, and students. And it's a consistent, clear procedure on, on how to work with student discipline. It also talks about interventions and trauma-enforced care. That draft of the student code of conduct will be reviewed by building leadership team, the positive behavior intervention supports team, and my understanding Mr. Lemke is also going to be working with a focus group of parents to get some input on what that looks like through their lives as well. I guess I'm looking for what tangible things that can we see have been done? looked at different forms of student code of conduct then a draft is again being created they will give final input on that completed draft that draft then will go to the district cabinet and we will then say yes let's move forward and then hopefully in June that will be approved by the school board and then that will become part of our our formal processes Starting oh, great. Next year. So we'll have one ready for the next school year. And how are we going to um, Absolutely. enforce it and evaluate it if it's doing what it needs to be yeah. doing? And again, if I could just do a sidebar here. Yeah. Uh, just thank you for being part of the strategic planning committee. You know, that we well, yes, asked parents to be part of that process and, and you answered that call. And one of the things that's going to come from that is those balanced scorecards. And so we will have a scorecard to evaluate the effectiveness of not only the student code of conduct and the, and the process of supporting our students, the whole student, but any programs and any systems that we decide to implement moving forward. Getting away from chasing the shiny objects and then being more thoughtful and purposeful and then assessing the effectiveness of the work that we're doing and looking at it through the lens of like instruction. If something isn't working, what interventions are we going to provide to make that work success successful? and then going through that cycle. And then if we need to then implement a new program, we can do it so at the appropriate time instead of just grabbing and placing. And then my last question about that part, um, this yep. topic I should say is, what interventions or school-wide discipline protocol or procedures have been implemented this year to improve the classroom environment? Clear procedures on how administration process student discipline and 
not having it be so wide and that that, that channel through one position. We've also been increasing trauma-enforced care professional development. We've been trying to work with consistent classroom management across the school. So wherever a child goes, as far as to the art class or to the homeroom teacher, that we're using those consistent strategies. And then also starting to work towards a non-punitive positive behavioral interventions and support system. Because in my experience too, and but if all, if all you do is positive behavioral supports, that's not gonna work. And if all of you do is punitive, aggressive discipline, that's not gonna work either, that we need to, we need to have a balance looking at, at the whole child. We've also then been looking closer at, at our data and 96% of our students have received zero to one discipline referrals. If we're gonna put systems in, in place, we need to look through the, the tiered support system for behavior like we do with, with, with academics. Eight students that get that receive 54% of our entire school's discipline referrals, and again, 96% of our students have received zero or one discipline referrals. So when I started, I asked for the student code of conduct. Right, and there's not and one. Then I know the, there's the, one. The, the one. Yeah, the response was, well, what what's what's a student code of conduct, or we don't right. have one, or I would get three different answers. Right. So for us to to manage the expectations of, hey, you know, we've got this problem, please fix it. But we've heard it and we're, we're moving as quick as we can. And, and again, and that back to that, just some patience and time that to do a student code of conduct is not something to rush. Right. I guess you can tell me a code of conduct, from my understanding, is like doesn't ha does it have the specifics? Like, okay, this is our detention policy, or this is our, um, like you were saying, the positive po enforced reinforcement policy. You have different groups of infractions with choices of interventions and consequences, and as you have, I'll call them minor, so like group one infractions, you progress through to the higher groups to the major infractions where there then is increased interventions and consequences. We're, we're creating this to clarify expectations and responses for students, administrative parents, and students. So it's very clear on what the process is and what the expectations are for everybody. Right. And like you said, a, a student at Randall can go from sixth grade to eighth grade and touch three different discipline systems when there right. should only be one. And then of right. course, then we're gonna have to figure out a way to work together better as we get as we move through this process. Because as you said, there are cracks within the foundation of how we work together and we need to repair those so that we can then support the students. The last question I have for you. Um, not all students succeed in the traditional classroom setting and there have been some concerns about the safety of students in the classroom and the opportunity for all students to learn in an environment without disruptions. Um, entire classes need to be evacuated on a regular basis due to the disruptions caused by students, which inhibits everyone's learning. Previously, previously at Randall and currently, other schools offer a safe room or a breakout room and it's staffed by a qualified teacher or a staff member. So those students who distract and disrupt have a place to go and continue learning. It could be for an hour or two or it could be for a whole day, whatever is best for that student. Has Randall considered this at all? Having a room where kids can go for, for two hours requires individualized educational program. And if a student is in need of a space 
or a pull-out, a room, a more restricted environment, I would trust that the team that is writing that individualized educational program would then put that in the program. But if Randall doesn't have a, a place like that, how could they write it into See, and that's, I think where I think that's where the big misconception is. IEPs or individualized education programs should not be written based on the services that the team feels that the district can provide. They're supposed to be written for what this what the data and what the team can prove is needed for the student. Right. So if they need it, then we need to make it happen. Correct. That's the law. Yeah. What is Randall's philosophy on full inclusion and have we looked at the data? Right. Are those kids actually succeeding in the regular ed classroom? We we talked about data from surveys and and substantial interventions or movement based on that data. One of the things that was worked on from the start was the Wilmot Pupil Services Consortium. Mm-hmm. When I evaluated that program, and again, I'm, this is nothing against any people or the, the work that was done with that program, it's just having a fresh lens. The people, the people were great, it's just the, the program needed to change. In mid-year to dissolve your pupil services consortium, is typically, it, it, it's, not, it's not the norm. I'm gonna echo a comment like, well, we need to fix this and we need to fix it now. And those was, that was one of those things that I agreed, we need to fix this. We, not agreed, but just people are doing the best that they can, but the program is almost set up to fail. And in addition to that, just just the amount of turnover in the, in that director position. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put my foot in my mouth a little bit because then I brought in another director, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but the director we brought in has 35 years of district level program, not just with special education, but also with with human resources and supporting leadership. To dissolve that consortium and bring in someone like that that can help us repair our special ed programming to a place where we, if we wanted to go full inclusion model, we could support that work. But my understanding is we went full inclusion pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. There might not have been a clear path on how to get there and, and taking steps to get to the full inclusion model. And now we're in a place of we're full inclusion and now what are we going to do? But just hopefully you've, you've started to see more evidence of how, how systematic I am. And if we're going to go to a full inclusion model, which may be the space that we're, we say we're sitting in right now, then let's, let's work our way to be a full inclusion model. And that's where we also need to rely on our, our case managers and our staff to come to the, the table and to, to be able to feel confident in their, in the trust to speak their truth and know that we are going to do what's best for the programming and for the students. And if students need services and if students need certain programs, we will provide those programs and those services. We need to be writing our IEPs through the lens of what does our student need through the data that we're bringing to the team, not what services can Randall provide in Western Kenosha County. What changes are we considering? If we have 
a student who needs a breakout room, we should be explicitly putting that in the plan and using that resource to support the student. Right. That, and I'm talking one. all students, not just okay. students with IEPs. Well, then that's where I think we need to have a little bit longer of a conversation because why are we putting a student in a in a cool well, going back to our discipline, like I mean, I mean, this is it's just like a it's just a a, a place where maybe like in our Randall policy we have an in-school suspension room because I looked that up; it's still in there, you know. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're you refuse to work in the in the classroom, you gotta go work in there. I think it would be well, just it's more a, a suspension's a, pr- a pretty progressive discipline and. Right. And I, and, yeah, I, I guess like to start with it. And, and I always advocate to start with in-school suspension. And my understanding is that we do have students that have received in-school suspension. Okay. What Randall had is like, okay, there's a classroom. There's a teacher in there. You're refusing to work, and we've tried all the classroom management tricks of the trade, and it's still not working, and it's continuous things. But you don't want to – you still want that student to get that work done because that's our ultimate goal, right? But you can't just put them in the hallway. Maybe like, okay – Go to that room. There's a teacher or an aide or somebody staffed, and they would come in. All right, I got to do this work, you know. That staff member maybe makes a phone call home immediately or something, says, hey, I got Johnny here. He's not doing it. He's going to work with me. You could document it on Skyward or whatever. Um, Once he gets it, maybe the teacher's like, hey, he could come back once he gets that done, you know. Then go back to the classroom. And that would be for all students, not just kids with IEPs. Or a behavior plan, you know. I that's my understanding yeah. that some student Randall has done, and that's when I was I, I, room. I, I heard I heard the question differently. Now I hear your question. Yeah. So why why don't we have an in school suspension room? And my my question to that is always, well, where did it go? Right. Um, I don't know. Who took it away? Why did it go away? Right. Well, where's the staffing for that? Yeah. Can we revisit that? And that's all I want to know. Can we explore it? We got great minds in this cl- in this school, and let's revisit it. Yeah, and, it, and I'll be honest. When I hear that, put a room for kids to go to cool off because they're not following instructions, I, I'm not comfortable with the optics of that. And it would, we would definitely need to, you know, tease that out more exactly in the sense of what's the program that's supporting this room. Right. It can't be somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I want to go to that room. They have a nice lady <laughs> there and like, gonna, like you're going to do nothing. There has to be. Yeah, it has because you can't just say, yeah, we're going to do this and then don't do it right and say, well, it didn't work. You know, if you don't back it and have a set like protocol and things like that, just, you know, I think if you're going to do it, you just can't say, oh, yeah, we did it. We tried it. It didn't work. But if you don't, if you don't really put every thought and consideration in. I like what you're saying about, yeah, we need to have, like, what's it going to look like? What's, how are we going to do this? We have to evaluate the person who's running it and saying, and, you know, like this article I read too, they have, like, if a kid keeps on coming, they have counseling services then. Like, okay, this might be a time where the counselor's going to check in with them. Any other questions? I feel really good that we have this conversation. And thank you for giving me this opportunity parents will appreciate that well thanks for having me on your podcast Mr. Sony <laughs> well thank you that was <laughs> that was my first podcast and it was very nice yeah. so thank, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity
Hello, Mr. Dvorak. Welcome back. How are you, sir? Good. I'm oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You sound great. Thanks for stepping into the virtual podcast uh, world with me. And we're here to talk about the Continuity of Learning Committee. It's been a month since the last time we talked. Could you give all of our stakeholders an update, please? You know, things seem to be going really well. We seem to have hit our, our stride with uh, the format that we've been using for our online learning. You know, a month ago, I think there were still a whole lot of questions in the air. I couldn't even tell you how many executive orders we've gotten from the governor up to this point. Uh, I just kind of marvel at how we, and I say we, I really mean our administrative staff, just kind of took a step back, looked at everything that was going on and decided to pause, really figure things out think about everyone involved before making decisions. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of a lot of educators, a lot of friends who are teaching in different schools all around the country, and all of their schools, you know, are doing similar and different things, um, one in another state. Um, it was just like totally burnt out by week three. Um, and all the things that were kind of being piled on them as more and more and more executive orders uh, came down the pipe. Um, and other teachers that just got like zero support um, from, from their administration as far as being able to support their students with different things. Um, and so I'm, I just feel really blessed um, and really excited to be uh, at Randall, obviously. But uh, I, I think we've done just a, a great job of trying to keep the focus on students and families and, and making learning as accessible as possible to as many students and families as possible. And just to echo the sentiment of gratitude, the RTA, the Randall Teachers Association, uh, your willingness to come to the table and be a partner in this collaborative process we, we have been so appreciative of because I've uh, since I started been an advocate of you know, I like to look at it as the triangle you've got the school board you have administration and then you have our, our, our teachers union and that's it the three sides of that triangle are strong I think our, our students in the center of that are going to get the best support that they can so thank you for for your willingness to come to the table and be a partner because there were some tough decisions we had to make yeah, you're never you're never going to get a hundred percent, and that doesn't make people like you and I happy. <laughs> um, you know, it, we we're not going to be perfect, but we're gonna we're gonna try as hard as we can. There's a quote in our hallway, uh, Vince Lombardi, who says, "Aim for perfection, and you might hit excellence." And that's our school's mission. And so, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try as hard as we can uh, to reach as many students and families as we can. We know it's not going to be 100%, but we're going to try and, and hopefully the results are excellent. You know, I think the, the word that has been most used um, on the team is equity. Um, and we know that it, this learning online isn't going to look the same for everybody, just like the learning at school uh, in the building doesn't look the same for everybody. Years ago when I first heard the word equity and had no clue what it meant, somebody showed me a picture and it was three kids standing out beyond the outfield fence of a baseball game. And it was a solid fence, you couldn't see over it. And there were three kids of three different heights. Each one had a box 
that allowed them to stand on the box and just look over the fence to watch the game. Each student needed, or I say each student, each child in the picture needed their different size box. And so the correlation there was the learning had to look a little different to really meet the needs of each student, just like the box needs to look a little different to fit the child, to give them access to what they really need. And we are definitely doing everything we can to ensure that equitable access. I, I was just thinking, I, I know a lot of families, um, a lot of uh, friends of mine who, who actually homeschool. Um, and so they're, they have a different take on what's going on right now. And I, I hear the word homeschool a lot, and I think it means different things to different people. But, you know, I think of those parents who are homeschooling full time and they've built up tons of materials. Uh, physical materials, electronic materials, all sorts of things that they do all the time. And we're, we're not able to provide all of those physical materials. Um, and so we have to find a way, and I think we found a pretty good way to be as equitable as possible with our, our students' families um, to allow them to participate in learning as best they can. As the, as the weeks progress, uh, we're on uh, Randall Continuity of Learning Portal 3.0, if we were to put a version on it. It's a, it has been really neat to, to watch it evolve from week to week. So is there anything else you'd like to add, sir? I don't think so. I mean, if there are other ways that we can really support families, let us know. But uh, I'm still excited for the last several weeks of school. I think there was a lot of uh, disappointment when we heard we wouldn't get to be back in the building all together but mm. uh, I, I think there are a lot of exciting things coming uh, over the next few weeks for for our Randall family and so I'm excited about that and obviously just can't wait to be all back together as a family in one building again well thank you Mr. Dvorak thank you Well, hello, Mr. Adams. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me in this remote virtual podcast situation. You know, I, I got to admit, I was uh, a little little flustered trying to get all this stuff set up to do a virtual podcast because I'm dipping in my, to my toe in a water I do not belong in. Oh, the water's fine. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of tech, how, how is the continuity of learning portal going? Well, I think the, the uh, portal is working really well. Uh, it's, it took a few weeks for us to get in the groove, but we've been there now. And, uh, you know, teachers are turning in their materials. We're posting them Monday morning. And uh, there's a lot of great dynamic material out there for parents and students to make sure that we're, uh, we're at least, we're not losing our way in this uh, lack of physical education space. I mean, being in person at school, you know, the teachers are doing a great job. Parents, way to go parents for, for rolling with all the, uh, the challenges that come up with the using a virtual learning platform, our continuity of learning platform. So thanks to the parents and the students especially. I've had the opportunity to work with some parents and students and through remote sessions, my own technical sessions, Google Meets and Zooms. You know, it's not, it, this is not easy work for anyone at all, but thank you for everyone for, for trying it. Cause that's really, I think these days, the only requirement is we show up and try. And that's been a, a great thing. So I have had the opportunity to work with uh, families, students, as well as teachers uh, remotely to uh, troubleshoot problems. And I want to continue to encourage parents and students that if they're having problems to please 
just give a call into the school at 262-537-2211. And then when the computer voice answers, just type that 325. That extension 325 is going to get you into a voicemail box. That voicemail box will get sent to me, and then I will return your calls. If, if I am returning a phone call to take care of a problem, just heads up. I, I am calling from a 608 number. I know that a couple times some of our parents have got the feeling that might be a, a telemarketer. Usually, uh, I, of course, I leave a message, but sometimes I'll text if I, if I can identify their number as a cell phone number uh, just to let them know that, hey, this is James Adams from Randall School. I'm calling to help you with some technical problems. So just be aware that I'm calling from a 608 number, which is kind of bizarre. Um, I'm not calling from a number that, that looks like Randall because I too am working remotely. If nothing more than right now, there are challenges and challenges allow us the opportunity to grow, stretch, and conquer them. So it might be a challenge to have to call in for help for tech support or a problem. The Chromebook might be misbehaving. You might have a problem with uh, the, a website being blocked, but um, you know, with a little bit of help from all parties involved, we can get through it. So you said one thing that blew my mind. Yeah. You are working remotely and helping people remotely. I feel like well, we stepped into a par paradox here. Well, you know, like uh, parents are remote, parents are working from home and, and um, uh, I'm not working from school. Um, occasionally I do come into school because sometimes remote uh, technical support isn't, isn't working. So sometimes we have to make arrangements with the parent to drop the device off at the school and pick up a replacement and that's okay. But for the most part, right, I am just like now, we're doing a podcast and um, I'm calling in from home, just like students yeah. are doing their work from home. And, it's remote on top of remote on top of remote. The one thing that was rattling in my my head was uh, what if you could give parents one one hot tech tip on the Mr. Adams channel? What would that be? I got one for you. Here is uh, here's a hot here's a hot Chromebook tech tip for those for those oh, students that okay. have our yeah for those students that have our Chromebooks at home. I have altered the settings on the Chromebook so that they don't turn off when you close the lid. So students, parents, if you hear this, when you close the lid on your Chromebook, it's not going to log you off and shut the Chromebook down. And that's that's really, that's nice because you have your Chromebook, you're the only one using oh. it, that works. But Dr. Alstott, guess what that means? That means that it's Chromebook nice. is never, it's never officially restarted. Oh. And, and guess what happens when we leave computers on for weeks on end? They don't update themselves, right? But here's the other part uh -huh. is, Every once in a while, there's little tiny, we're going to call them glitches, but the glitches work into the system. So uh, just this, in the past week, I had a student to have problems with connecting to their Google Meet, and we worked through it. And what we decided was that all that had to be done is we had to just shut the computer down and restart it. So Dr. Alstott, here's my hot tip, tip for Chromebook users, uh, Randall students. If you're having difficulties with your Chromebook, Turn the Chromebook off. Don't just close the lid. Hold down the power button in the upper right ah. until, the screen, until the screen goes black. And now the computer's shutting down. And then go ahead, give it a few seconds, and turn it back on, and log back into it, and try to do your work. Because if there's one opportunity for glitches, it's if that Chromebook has been left on too long, like too many days in a row, and it just, it just needs a break. I mean, if we stayed up playing video games for weeks on end, we'd probably be Which a little I'm not doing. too. 
No, no, we're not. We're not. But if we if we did as humans, we need to rest. We need to give our brains a break. And believe it or not, those computers, those uh, those CPUs and the computers, they need a break occasionally. They only need a few seconds break. But we do need to shut them down every once in a while, turn them back on, and then give your work, give your Zoom session, give your Google Meet session a try again. And chances are things are going to work. See a, a YouTube channel and you and me making videos in our future with <laughs> Mr. Adams' tech tip of the week. Oh, there'll be another virtual uh, or excuse me, remote <laughs> remote production solution uh, challenge there. Yeah, we could talk more about that offline. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Mr. Adams, thank you. It was a pleasure to have you, and thank you for all this useful information for our parents. And thank you for having me, and, and thanks to all the, the parents, students, and teachers for their work during this time. All right, Principal Allrod, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I, I, I think I could handle a couple more virtual meetings. How about you? No. <laughs> I'm I'm quite over the virtual meetings. Um, you know they've been very helpful to have that as a an option, and you know working from home is has been helpful to keep everyone safe. But yeah, no, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm ready to come back to that traditional setting so that we could see the people and see the kids and and um, do what we do. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, could you give us some updates for uh, for parents and on what's going on at the school? There's the continuity of learning plan is still going, and we're going to keep that going until uh, that last day that we possibly can. Students can expect to, to still see their lessons being posted for that first week of June, and then we'll be wrapping up the school year pretty quickly here. Around the school, we're still disinfecting and preparing classrooms for the summer, so you may have seen a couple teachers in and out, but they are being safe, wearing masks, staying away from each other. We scattered out when they could come into their classroom so that way we were practicing safe distancing. But um, for the most part, the school is now in summer clean mode and uh, custodian staff are doing a fantastic job, not just cleaning the school for summer, but also sanitizing everything so that way it is safe when and if we are coming back, hopefully in the fall. We're trying to hash out the ever-changing environment of what we can and cannot do for the end of the school year still wanting to provide some type of promotion ceremony for the eighth graders because you know honestly we it breaks our heart that they're kind of getting dipped on this this year we want to do whatever we can possible to give them the credit and honor them and celebrate them as much as we can so we're just keeping our ear to what's going on in the state and what our you know guidelines and regulations will be and and then we will have more information on that coming out it, it, as it comes. Yeah, we, we both taught eighth grade, so we know. And our eighth grade team and the committee is doing such a great job of getting all that input from parents and, and doing the best that we can with the current situation. Material pickup, what, what can I expect from that? So material pickup starts on Wednesday next week, May 20th. And we just scheduled the last names to stagger them throughout the day so we could try to practice our safe spacing. So just like with Chromebook pickup, if you were a part of that, parents will just drive up on the backside junior high entrance, give the names of all the students that are in their family, and our staff will go get all of the items that we have 
collected and put into one place for the students and place them on a table for people to safely collect um, with the no touch system. We'll also have some areas where we can put out any lost and found items or unclaimed items such as unmarked gym shoes. So hopefully parents can, as they're going through that process, take a glance and look and see if anything belongs to them and they can claim that. We'll be refunding um, lunch money for our eighth graders and anybody that has specially requested lunch money refunds, um, any field trips that we weren't able to take, that money will also be refunded. Yearbooks are in the building, so we'll be handing those out during pickup. Um, athletic uniforms and classroom books and library books will be collected. And lots of little things that we're trying to just make sure that we try to give to the, back to the families so that way they can make this a one trip process. That could be a lot of information, a little overwhelming. If I have any questions about all this, what should I do? Please just call the office. We have office staff every day from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. that are answering the phones, answering questions. I know we've had some requests because families would be out of town during those three days we've designated for pickup and they've made arrangements where they could come at a different time because they weren't able to make those days. Um, but so yeah, just give the office a call and we will do what we need to do to help you out. Anything else you'd like to add, Principal Rod? I just want to thank the families and the teachers and the staff that have really you know, bound together during this whole process and, and just the love that I've seen throughout Randall during this time has just been so fantastic and just encouraging guys to keep it up, keep each other safe, you know, take care of each other and be there for each other so, you know, we're not lonely during these isolation times and, and let us know what you need because we're here for you and and we want to do what's best for kids. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you see these these posts on social media about, you know, sticking together. Now is not the time to judge. I'm very thankful for the, the fleet of parents that are out there that are just being so supportive. And we're all doing our best. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and just keeping in mind that we do want what's best for all of the kids. And we do want to offer, you know, opportunities that we feel like they're missing out on. And we do want to do anything we can to make this easier for parents and for students and, you know, and helping them transition into next school year. You know, we've got a, a great plan to make sure that we're getting kids caught up and where they need to be. And, and we realize it's kind of scary not knowing things, but, you know, we're, we're putting kids first and, and we will do whatever we need to do to help them. Well, we are sure appreciative that uh, you're in the principal seat. So thank you, Principal Ross. Thank you so much. Hi, Mr. Lemke. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why don't you give us a uh, student service update through the lens of Continuity of Learning Portal? All right. So it has been great for me to see how our teachers and our students and our parents and our community could adapt to this curveball that we've been throwing the last couple of weeks here at Randall. Seeing the way that our students and our parents have really drawn together and worked together and used everything that they have available to them to still move forward with their learning and with their education has really been great to see. From a student services perspective, we've been really trying to help out the students and give them some of that normalcy, getting on there with morning announcements every morning, sending messages when we have a chance to send a message, 
We have just started planning our virtual field day for the end of the school year so that all of our kiddos from 4K all the way up to eighth grade will still have that experience at the end of the school year, which has become such a tradition at Randall. So even though we're in a different situation, we've really got a lot of good things going forward. The track program, students are gonna have that opportunity to develop their own personal skills, but still have that same coach-athlete relationship and still be able to work on things themselves and still be able to compete and get better. So I thought that was a great opportunity for our students. Seeing a lot of those same things with my own daughters, and I think that that's a great way for our staff members and our teachers and our coaches to reach out and stay in touch with those students and prepare for what happens after the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, just and just echoing what you said, it's been great to to see how everybody's been stepping up and you know and just providing still providing education and providing uh, re, not just resources but programs where kids can do stuff at home. So with, with that being said, it's been a, some pretty neat things happening almost every week. Yeah, I'm really lucky to be working with Mrs. Liebherr and Ms. Kayhart and Ms. Morris with the student services team and we're doing our best to get some events and some opportunities out there for the kids and the families and the community. We had our parade, which was a great experience for everyone that participated. We've had a couple of slideshows and videos go out. We've had some quizzes. There's some really cool stuff coming up these upcoming weeks, so keep an eye out for some of the things that are coming in the weeks coming up. We're going to do our best to keep you entertained and to uh, provide you with a little bit of a distraction from some of the other stuff that's going on. Well, we really appreciate it, Mr. Lemke. Thank you for your leadership. Thanks for all you're doing for Randall. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, just that, you know, we've got a really unique community here that here at Randall, we work with students from age three or four all the way up to 14 and 15. And we have really mm-hmm. come together as a community and as a team here at Randall. And I'm just so proud of all the kids and all the parents and all the families that I work with. And I'm really proud to say that I work at Randall and that I, re- and that I, have been a part of what we've done in order to meet our kids' needs. Well said. Stay safe out there, sir. All right. Thank you.